Hey, this is Robin Wilson with Expat Diaries podcast, Costa Rica edition. And I'm here today with Carrie Bowers. And Carrie and I got to catch up last week and I got to hear her super interesting and I think brave story of how she made her way from the U.S. to Costa Rica. And um, Carrie, if you don't mind, um, let's just start like at that wedding that you that you came on for like the first time you were here, right? Yes. So I first came to Costa Rica in 2007 because my cousin was marrying one of my good high school friends. So they planned Tamarindo, Costa Rica, for this destination wedding. At the time, I was a high school teacher and a teacher trainer in Washington, D.C. So Mm -hmm. I had my summer months free and could make a vacation out of it. So I planned for a six-week vacation where the wedding was the end of the trip. Nice. So you were here for six weeks? Before the wedding or like five weeks before the wedding? Exactly right. Oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. And so where did you come into? So Tamarindo is where the wedding was at, but did you stay in Tamarindo that entire time? No. In fact, I stayed for a couple nights in San Jose um, because I didn't know what to do. I had two really good friends that were coming to meet me because they were like, oh, well, you're going to Costa Rica. We're going to come along for a couple of weeks as well. Nice. And I remember sitting at this hotel right in this, the heart of San Jose, opening up my Lonely Planet guidebook, obviously looking very touristy and asking the waiter in, in my very, very fragile, broken Spanish at the time. He spoke English very well. Mm-hmm. Um, where to go? What, what should I do? What do you recommend? And he said, you should have to go and see the beaches of Montezuma. And so I said, okay, that will be stop number one, not knowing anything about it, except what I could read with a teeny little paragraph in the Lonely Planet. And so waited for my friends to arrive, grab them. And then we head on, headed on the bus down to Montezuma. Nice. And so what year was this? 2007. Wow. That's a while. That's a while ago. Yeah. The world, has changed, the world has changed 95 times since then. It's true. It's very true. Yes. So you went down to Montezuma. I mean, here's you, a Washington, D.C. or Maryland native, used mm-hmm. to the chaos and bustle. And now you're in what we all know as just total serenity and chill. Like, I mean, even on a vacation, that's a lot. It takes probably a week for me to decompress and just to get rid of the, the just the vibration of bustle, you know, it just does for me. But so you're down and and Montezuma is pretty remote. Like it's even more remote than most people realize. It's true. I mean, there's, I mean, still there are hardly any paved roads there. So if you can imagine, you know, no air conditioning on the public bus, bouncing and bouncing and bouncing around, um, took forever because it looks geographically not that far. Costa Rica is not that big. Right. But travel wise, it took about seven and a half hours. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. So it involves, uh, you know, kind of getting out of the Central Valley, out of the city area to then so take you, a ferry. You flew into San Jose and not Liberia. Exactly right. I flew into San Jose. Yes. And so then you have to take the ferry from Punta Arenas. You get the ferry rides a little more than an hour, although gorgeous. Right. Mm-hmm. This is probably when I think I've started to fall in love with the idea yeah of this country what i was seeing with my eyes and like you said the exact opposite of the concrete dc subway grind and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. everything was green and fresh and smelled like salty air and it was 
Yeah. And so I got to Montezuma and exactly like you said, I mean, it's literally a T intersection of the town population, then probably around, I'm going to guess 700 people. So within a week, I think I knew everyone, or at least everyone knows who all the tourists are in town. Right. It's that small. Yeah. And yeah, just like you said, it was, it was really eye-opening and really life-changing for me. I had traveled previously in Southeast Asia. Um, and so similarly, you know, everything that I saw and smelled was incredible. But all of a sudden, I had this idea of like, I, I, I don't know how I could go back home right. after this. I don't know. I won't be happy. Yeah, I you're, go back you're changed. You're just changed yeah. internally. Yes, yes. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt I felt the same way. I tell people this all the time. Like I grew up in I grew up in California, but I grew up in Bakersfield, California, which is a really big farming community. So there's a lot of like probably a lot of the green Thompson grapes that come to your mm-hmm. table come out of the San Joaquin Valley, oranges lettuce, avocados, just about anything that you can think, like you come over the grapevine from Los Angeles into Bakersfield or into the grapevine right there. And it just looks like this big patchwork of, it's just like a big patchwork quilt because it's just just so much agriculture that's there. And mm-hmm. you could literally, I mean, when I was a kid, I don't know if you still can or not, but you could literally just pull over the side of the road, jump out of the car, go over and grab a big old thing of grapes, get back in the car and take off. It yeah. was probably stealing, but... <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, it was the 70s. So we did whatever. Okay. So now you're on vacation and you're down in Montezuma and you stayed down there for like four weeks or a little bit longer? A little bit less um, because we wanted to travel a little bit. But to be honest, it was so hard to leave Montezuma. But what I found out is another kind of an assumption that I had with looking at the map that I would be able to go from Montezuma north to where the wedding was, which is in Tamarindo. And little did I know that there's a lot of factors (laughs) that come into play. Rivers. Rivers. Exactly. Mostly there's big rivers and everyone's like, no, you can't. There's no buses that go that way. So I had to then travel back a little bit to take the ferry, get back over towards the Central Valley area, San Jose, and then get myself to Tamarindo. I was a day late for the wedding party. (laughs) You know, what's funny is we were um, staying in like Nisara and we're going down to Samara. And um, at one point, like, so we have a rental vehicle and we're going down and there's like the road just ends and you're just at a river. And like (laughs) everybody else is just crossing the river. It was there with uh, my husband was there and then my best friend Beverly and then her cousin-in-law Darla and it was Darla's rental vehicle. And oh. so like, she was like, well, I, I had to sign something that said I would not cross any water. And I'm like, look, it's probably up to the top of the tire. That's it. Like, we're like looking, we can see it. Like we're trying to talk her into it because like the other way around is like a whole other hour yeah. to get to that place. We can see across the, across the <laughs> river. And I'm like, and I'm like trying to talk her into it. And they're like not having it. They're having little side meetings uh, or on the side of this dirt road, having these side meetings and trying to convince them to just drive through there. It's going to take us 20 seconds to get yeah. across this. And she wouldn't do it. So we had to take the long way around. And then the next year when we came down, um, we all had quads, so we just rode the quads across there. So like nobody had any hissy fit about it. But it's funny because like you're you're right. Like you can go across the river, and and that's why most of the vehicles down there have the um, exhaust that uh, the, the snorkel. Yeah, that yeah. Goes up. or you can take the long way around and then get there eventually. But I wanted to cross the river, and Darla was a pooper about it. So whatever. Right. Okay. So you get up to Tamarindo to the wedding party, mm-hmm. and then. Um, 
there's a, I mean, the wedding happens and then do you, are you home right after the wedding or do you still have some time? Well, no, I had to go right home after the wedding, but I had a little heart to heart with myself. I remember in the hotel, um, in the bathroom where I said, okay, I'm going to go down. This was 2007. So I had to go find a computer lab and I found this computer lab and I said, all right, I'm just going to look online just to see what a price, the prices would be for a ticket to come back. I want to come back. Like, at least in my mind, I said, okay, if I have a plan to come back, I'll be able to function. You know, I can get home. I can do my job. I can get back into the routine. And I look, and sure enough, there's a flight. And I can't remember exactly the price, but for sure, it was a one-way ticket for like $110. Wow. Something, right, something too cheap. And of course, in my back pocket, I have my credit card. And I was like, just do it. Just do it. Just don't think about it. Just do it. And then you'll figure everything out. And so this was July, and I had booked a flight to come back in September. So that was a big deal because I was a teacher. And so we go back to our in-teacher trainings in August. And so I had to, you know, I had made that decision and I said, okay, you're going to figure it out step by step. And, you know, there were some big conversations, you know, first I had to talk to my parents. Then I was talking to my boss and my coworkers. It's important to note, I was also in a really serious relationship at that point that was kind of, we were at a turning point of what we were going to do or how we would have a future together, which I was obviously ready to run away from instead <laughs> of going into. And I just booked a one-way flight. And I'll tell you, Robin, from that moment, I remember clear as day, I got happier. I came, came back to the city. All those hard conversations seemed to be hard for everyone else except me. You know, what are you thinking? You, nobody does this. You can't just move to a country by yourself. You have a job. I, I had just bought a house a few months ago, and I was like, uh, this is even more reason, right? This is just yeah. fuel in the fire here for me now because I really, really knew that, you know, and I, I didn't live in such a, a whimsical or spontaneous way, really, but I had this. Most teachers don't. Most teachers are no. pretty conservative in their actions. Yes, exactly. And I had been a teacher for four years. You know, I mean, I was in that hustle and bustle. That routine was really set. And there how was... Old, just, how old were you in 2000? I was, I was 29. Okay. Well, yeah. you, you weren't a toddler by any means. You like should be old enough to go, this is what I want. Yeah. And, and that was exactly it. And, you know, <laughs> my mom thought I was crazy because, you know, you're supposed to... I was then supposed to, you know, get married, start planning the family building up the career. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go run away by myself to Costa Rica instead. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And, I'm, and I can imagine, I, it's funny because my mom is passed. And so I, I can't imagine having to have that conversation with her because she would be like, what are you doing? Like she would 100% would have. Okay. Yeah. So now you, you come, so you are back there. You have a house, you're quitting mm-hmm. your job. You've got your ticket for September. What are mm-hmm. you doing about, what are you doing about your house? So I rented out my house. I actually have a, another family, another cousin that was in Baltimore. He was one of our room, my roommates at the time. So my sister ended up moving into the house, um, worked out to be a good arrangement for her. But that was also when the real estate market crashed big time. Yeah. And so I ended up selling the house as quickly as I could. I could not keep, I couldn't imagine the idea of managing that house to anyone else besides friends and family. Right. And Ended up, I mean, walked away with basically breaking even, even which from was the, like, which the house. plus during that time. I was a mortgage lender during that time, so I yeah. lived all of the mortgage meltdown day by yes. day by day. So I, if you walked away breaking even, you were ahead. 
And that's that's exactly what I what I said to myself too. It's like, okay, plus then even more reason for me to stay here. One less thing that I had to think about back in my 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 other world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Other than all your boxes of crap that you probably piled up somewhere to save for when you come back. Yeah, except I have a younger sister, so she liked all of that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> that was the plus. plus. So, okay, so then in September of 2007, now you're back, and you go to Montezuma? As quickly as I could. And what was the plan? Like, did you have a plan between now and then? Like, were you already connected to the people there and still communicating with the people in Montezuma? Okay, yes, I had met a Costa Rican man at that point, Cesar, and we kept in touch over email. I mean, we're talking so long ago that he got an email account, right, so that we could keep in touch. And when I got back, he was still in the university in San Jose. So I was back in Montezuma by myself. And I said, okay, you know, I had a little support from him because he spoke English. A lot of people in town had a little bit, you know, they could communicate with me. And I said, all right, you have you have three months. At that point, Costa Rica gave tourists a 90-day tourist visa. So that gave me three months. I had planned that I would go to Panama and do a quick border run, which you call when you have to go to renew your visa, come right. back in. And I said, okay, if after six months, right, after when, by the time my second border run comes up, if I can't function in Spanish, then I got to go home. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a good, that's a good boundary to put on yourself and a good goal to, to reach. So at six months, were you fluent enough? I wouldn't say fluent enough, but I also am a language teacher. And so I could teach myself. I knew some tricks of at least how to be patient with myself, you know, like just try to listen and listen and listen to everybody. I would take the newspaper and my dictionary and my notebook, tried so hard with like, oh, agony to like learn the verbs in Spanish. That's right? the hardest part. And the, so and the tenses, the past tense. Oh, my gosh. The, the tenses yeah. get me all the time. It, well, it's not, I mean, then it's the prepositions, right? Everything. But what was, what is still even funny about my Spanish is that I, because I've never really formally studied Spanish, is that I speak very much Costa Rican slang. Good. And, and don't know that I'm speaking slang sometimes though. <laughs> <laughs> so though in that period of time, I did start to volunteer at the local elementary school and so the director, so what wait, what are you doing for money? Did you just use your save? Were you on your savings at this time? Yeah, at that point. And that's the other kind of deadline where I did not. I mean, I was a high school teacher in the state, so it's not like I had a big cushion to live off of. Mm -hmm. So that was another serious idea in the back of my mind. I had, you know, didn't have my house anymore. I kind of had, you know, the bag of things that I had with me. And I said, all right, I think I can do it. Now, I think it's also important because I had studied and I had taught. So I came down with the idea, with the confidence in the classroom to teach. And especially I was an English teacher. And so had also trained um, other teachers as well. So I worked as what was called a literacy coach. Mm -hmm. So I would be like, I was a teacher trainer for incoming new teachers. And we had a very collaborative school where our teaching team worked together across the disciplines and across the age groups. And so teaching teachers was something that I really loved. And so at this point, I found what's called uh, TEFL teacher trainings and became certified to then train teachers who would come down and they could work with me, go through a certified program where they could come for one month, one or two months. And I said, OK, this is this is how I can do it, because at that point, prior to COVID, 
teacher, the TEFL teacher training courses were really expensive. I mean, you're talking about a couple thousand dollars for a really intense training session, but then that would be your certificate that would lead you to be able to teach English around the world. So very popular program as well, where, you know, any age, you could be a career changer. You could be, you know, coming out of uh, college and not too sure what to do, having finished high school before going on to college. So the certification that the training that I received from my university that then allowed me to be the TEFL trainer, then allowed me to open up the business to bring other teachers from around the world to come to get certified. And at the same time, worked up to build the English language school. Okay, so hang so, on, because okay, so you had the certification and you're in Montezuma, and then at some point you go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to start this business, but we're mm -hmm. still talking like 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. right? So how did people find out about you? How did you get the word out that you that they could come here and you could train them? Well, but I remember at the very beginning I had a blog spot, right? Oh, yeah, I had a blog spot and, too. Yes. I forgot about that until you just mentioned it. That I, had that. <laughs> I would have to either bicycle or walk or get on a bus if I was lucky to catch the bus to go up to the next town, Kobano. And I would go into the computer lab, try to self-taught how to upload these pictures, you know, from there. You know, we didn't have phones like from my camera. Right. This, you know, all of these cables trying to figure it out and just started to kind of tell my story about where I was, how much I loved it, how much fun it was, how beautiful it was. And because the director of the school was so, her open door policy was so helpful for me to be able to, to do that. She empowered me to have time with the children and the children in the local schools, which happens commonly around the, the rural or the beach areas of Costa Rica, mm -hmm. they typically go to school for half of a day. So a lot of kids would have a big chunk of the morning free or vice versa. They would have their afternoons free. And so then the kids would just come with me. So I could set up just in the little park, you know, tables teaching English. The, the parents love the idea. The kids were really engaged. Now, remember, I'm also benefiting because they're teaching me a ton of Spanish at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And so I had I could see the pieces coming together where I said, OK, you know, I have to be able to live. I have to make money. I didn't have that cushion, like we said before. And so I went back to my university, got coached, got trained, got certified came back and at that point I had the pieces together where we could work directly inside the public elementary school. Um, we could work outside, you know, basically houses were opened up to me where parents were like, hey, bring the kids here. You know, we can set up this table. You know, it's really all I needed at that point was just a table and I had a whiteboard. So I had my little bag with my whiteboard, my whiteboard markers. Um, and we just grew the program from that point on. So what ended up evolving was working together in Montezuma with the local companies that offer the tours, the activities that you can do. So for example, the snorkeling tours, um, there was at that point only like two local men that had surf companies. Mm -hmm. uh, there were like uh, mountain biking, waterfalls, the beautiful waterfalls where you could find a guy that could take you. Mm -hmm. And so I could put together packages for my teachers that were coming down or volunteers that were coming to work with me to do so that they would be touching those local businesses and I would earn a little commission nice. off, of, off of all of the tours and the packages that I could put together. So it was really great because then a lot of the businesses saw or the owners of the businesses said, okay, 
this is a perfect opportunity for us to to benefit from carry we need our our team you know if the, the more english you speak the higher your pay is right. the better your job the more opportunities you have and so at that point then i had a couple of different big companies that then paid me to go in to teach uh, teach english classes to their employees as well so it was really w risky and to be honest scary you know i mean there was ups and downs of every part of of the, how how I could live financially. Right. Was, um, there, was there times when you're like, I'm running out of money? What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I had down to four hundred dollars in my bank account, and I was like, okay, now we gotta we gotta like figure something out. You know, I have to figure out. And like you said, how did people find me? Right. You know, one blessing that happened is that the that same Lonely Planet's a guidebook that's mostly online now, but it yeah. used to be the, the coolest books that you could find when you were traveling. They somehow found when you know and it, it gave me a lot of credibility to the company because i don't know who it was but one of the authors was around montezuma and we ended up being featured in the lonely planet wow and that was huge yeah mm -hmm. that that was huge because it was listed as an activity to do you know said how we gave back to the local community um it was a really nice little blurb that was written up in the lonely planet about us and so that was that was wonderful because that just that credibility um, and the notoriety of that book, the guidebooks was great. So let's talk about Caesar. Oh. What happened to Caesar? Well, we ended up having two children together. Oh, there we yes. go. Yes, we stayed married. Um, we got married in 2016. We were very, very good friends, although we are divorced now. Um, we, we do more than co-parenting. I mean, there's some ups and downs, but um, yeah, we have two beautiful bilingual girls they were born in costa rica um and so they're actually in montezuma with him now spending the week back there yeah interesting so you fell in love got married and then had two daughters so were you living in montezuma when when the girls were born yes yes oh, both of them were so mm -hmm. then tell me like i'm people are always interested like what what was the medical care like there for whenever you had both of them so I would go every month for prenatal check-ins um, to the local clinic in Covino. Okay. Um, How far was that? How far it's was a, that? Well, it's about a half hour. Okay. Yeah. So I would go, you know, check, they'd check me. I'd get, I could get pre, uh, free prenatal vitamins, free care because of the system and the healthcare system, if you can access it, is really good. Mm -hmm. Now, there are no hospitals or anything close to that Nokoya Peninsula. That's where yeah. Montezuma is on the tip of the Nokoya Peninsula. So just little, was, just little clinics everywhere. That's it. Yeah. Exactly right. So a month before my due date, um, we found a little, uh, we rented a little apartment from a friend of Cesar's that said, okay, yeah, this, stay in this little house. And that was common, even with my Costa Rican friends that you had to be somewhere close to either Punta Arenas, like the other side of the ferry, mm -hmm. or closer to San Jose. Right. Um, yep. And so that's what we ended up doing. So I was, I actually did have both daughters in a private hospital. Um, and the, the care, the everything was top notch. I mean, even for my mom, she was here with me, of course, scared to death, right, about anything and everything happening, but could not believe, you know, the quality of the care, how modern everything was. Um, even she felt very, very comfortable. I mean, and they, you know, my oldest daughter was born in 2011, so still a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I, there is, uh, we were out, um, we were staying in uh, Plagiones 
and there was a big group of us had come down and I'd rented quads again. And then a couple of the older couples that were with us rented the golf carts, you know, mm-hmm. instead. And we had taken them for the day up to um, Ostianol. And yeah. <clears throat> on the way back, everybody's suit was wet or whatever. And it's just this bumpy, gravelly road or whatever. And I don't know if he was driving too fast or she had had too much to drink. Um, but he went around this corner and uh, she went sliding out and she was, they were right in front of us, in front of my husband and I, and I seen her just tumbling in the gravel and I'm like, holy crap, was that Trisha? And so we're like, we stop our bike, we get out there, whatever. And um, she's, unconscious Mm -hmm. and um like just road rash across her back um her head is bleeding her foot is bleeding and we're like okay where do we go you know and it's funny because we when we had come in we had seen a sign on the side of the road that said clinic and arrow this way right a clinic at this way and so i just loaded her back up into the golf cart with me i let the guys go back to the house just to do whatever and took her over there. And it was like walking into the nicest emergency room suite I've ever been in. Everything was uh, clean and it looked new and everything was sterilized and in its packaging. They like did such a great job cleaning her, um, all the gravel out of her back. Like it was disgusting. Um, Stitching up her head. She had, um, she had uh, a split in her not in her skull, but in her scalp um, and just cleaning everything up and bandaging up and then getting the prescriptions for her. Like it may seem like, oh my God, you went to a clinic, but that clinic was so nice and so prepared. Mm-hmm. And it may not have been um, probably the room that we were in was probably not a 20 by 15, um, but everything in there was perfectly set up for any kind of minor emergency that you needed. Now she did end up breaking her heel and they had, they were going to send her over to um, maybe to San Isidro yeah. to get an x-ray or up to San Jose. I can't remember what it was at the time. And she ended up not doing it, waiting till she got home. And then her doctor fixed it at home. But the care, I was so shocked mm-hmm. because I had no idea that there was anything out there that was at that level. And they took such good care of her and it was as professional as could be. Yeah. And I agree. Every experience that I've had has been exactly the same. That would be exactly how I would would say it. The report back, modern, great care, mm-hmm. just loving this like nurturing idea of taking care of you no matter who you are. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so now you've learned Spanish, yes, and then you're yeah. te- and you're teaching English, and you have your daughters, mm-hmm. and I know that you don't live in Montezuma anymore. At some point, you have moved over to Marapalo. Yes, exactly. So we moved to the Uvita area. Now I live just a little bit further north in Matapalo. Um, and I came but just prior to COVID uh, to work as a director of a private school here in this area. And so having you know been here for so long, I have a great network of different educators working in different capacities. Uh, got really lucky to do a lot of different kind of spread out the teacher training into different areas. And so through that network, yeah, I was able to then get offered a job where we could move. Now, Montezuma was great, although there was one really hard part was like we were talking about the bumpy roads was the dust. And so here when we have our six months or typically, you know, our dry, dry season, I mean, we're talking no drops of rain for weeks or months at a time. 
and it got to be a little too hard after so many years. And so coming down to the Pacific South side where we live now was almost everything that you could dream of or what I wanted to, or if I could have changed things in Montezuma, this seemed to be the place where it was fixed, where we have paved roads. Um, at that point, professionally, the school building had already been built. They were just seeking a director. So it was another time like, oh, the puzzle pieces seemed to just go together perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so ended up working. Now, th the sad part is that COVID then hit. And so that school ended up closing. But and, you know, the world stopped, uh, as we all know. And so but at that point now, and like, you know, the technology here is really improved. So I could yeah. shift my online or teaching to online. And it was pretty seamless at that point. Yeah. Right. With the local schools, they needed a lot of help. So I could coach the teachers at that point how to set up teams. They were using Microsoft Teams across the, the entire country, nice. do some teacher trainings, kind of got in with what we call the MEP, uh, the, the Ministry of, School of Education, mm -hmm. and got some pretty good paying jobs to do big teacher trainings as well. Wow. Not even just with the English teachers, but also just how to how to connect, how to work with the children just from knowing, you know, knowing this person who knows this person, which led to that. And, you know, as we all know, at COVID, you know, it was just kind of everybody running by the seat of their pants. You know, nobody know, nobody knew what to do. It's so funny um, because like all of our lives now pivot around that time frame, right? So yeah. it's COVID, post-COVID, like what happened? And I think back before that, like it was like what happened at 9-11? Our lives changed at 9-11, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. everything everything changed at that point point. the way we saw the world was different. And there's been some other things, the mortgage meltdown, the global economy crisis have been things that have like changed our trajectory. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do know I'm 59 and I have never um, lived through a time that was as amazing to survive mm -hmm. as COVID mm -hmm. was right. Like, and I don't yeah. mean like health wise. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, how do we, I'm a business person. So how do we survive in business? How do we survive personally? You know, how do all of my friends, if they don't have any food right now or toilet paper, how do I get stuff to them? And yeah. you're looking at people in the grocery store going, Oh my God, they just touched that can. I'm not touching that can. And everybody was like a carrier of something. It was so ridiculous. Our mindset was so polluted with crap. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, I mean, you just like looked at people in a different way and I'm so glad that we're past that. Well, I, I am past it. I don't know what the rest of the world is, but I'm past it. Um, mm -hmm. They want to give me their cooties now. Give them to me. I don't even care. Yeah. Um, if it's my time, TikTok. I don't. Right. Just makes us stronger, right? I'm just not going to worry about all of that stuff. But it's so interesting that everything that we do now is like goes. I because I tell the story too. Like here was my business going along, da 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 da, and then COVID hit, and yeah. then my business after there has been like this. Yes. So it's super interesting that the entire world was trained at that point to learn how to survive online, mm -hmm. which was so beneficial for you. Yes, exactly. Right. There was no other way. And so you didn't have a choice to go, no, I don't want to do online. You need to be here. Well, we can't be there. So you need to grow up and learn how to do this. Exactly. Exactly right. And in both ends too, like the teachers that I worked with, but also my students, you know, imagine where with my adult English program saying, okay, download Zoom, log into Zoom. They were like, okay, you're speaking on now a whole right. new language, right. right? Like stop. And, you know, it's like, okay, no, let's go little by little. You know, you can do it. It's not that different, you know, from YouTube, you know, same idea. And it was a lot of capacity building, like you said, you yeah. know, and then having super cool classes where 
You know, I have 10 English students, you know, from different places around Costa Rica, all online, connecting, making friendships, learning more skills than they even knew at the time by default, mm -hmm. right? And it was, you're right, it really was a, a, a really, really now, in hindsight, wonderful changing point. Right. Where, you know, just to kind of follow up with that, it's another thing I've noticed now where, because now, kind of jumping ahead, but I'm back working with the volunteers where we have the similar program, except TEFL training during COVID has become a little bit obsolete with in-person. It's almost all online at this point. So now what I'm seeing are really interesting travelers that want to travel because of how COVID affected them, that they hadn't done something in the past that they wanted to, and they're like, no, I'm not gonna wait anymore. I want to go and explore different things. I want to get out of my comfort zone. I'm not afraid, you know, of like, oh, these are the things I'm supposed to do because so many of us lost that. Right. And and it's really, really amazing to see from, you know, all ages. You know, I have, I'm so always so impressed. You know, we have girls that are 18 traveling by themselves, men who are 65, 12, you know, like it's it's really, it's really actually now, you know, I, I think I feel similar to you. Like, okay, it's like, yeah, come on, let's bring it. Like, Well, because, because we took the world and we went, okay, you can't leave here. You can't leave your house. You can't leave your yard. You can't leave anything. And we were like held captive like that. And then yeah. once they like reason, we're like, we're going everywhere. I'm going yeah. everywhere. You aren't going to tell me to stay anywhere ever again. It's like, nope, you're not the boss right. of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So now you're over in Montepalo and yeah. living your best life, sharing custody with... Um, your ex. Uh -huh. And what's next on the horizon for you? Well, we are building up now. So in Matapalo, uh, where I live, there is a high school that is a big hub for kind of from what's called what the town Capos and mm -hmm. Uvita. So we pull, we're one of the largest high schools in this area. So we have, I have lots of opportunity for lots of students at my fingertips here. We also have a primary school as well. And so I've been working, building up the, the, the idea that we call Weevil. That's the company that I run now. And the, mode, the slogan, or I don't know if it's even our slogan, more of our motto is travel like you care. And so travelers come and they can do one week up to three month programs where they can teach either the, the children or teach the adults. We have a reforestation project um, and then we do a sports camp. We've also now been really fortunate to partner with a company in Canada called Jam Direct that has donated laptops and we are doing coding classes for the local kids. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So we've all, and I'll put the links um, in the show notes, but so we've all, so let's say that I go, okay, Carrie, I want to come down and I want to come spend a month. So I'm going to pay to come down there. Do I pay for my flight and my accommodations and everything. And then once I figured out where I'm going to stay, then I'm part of this program for a month. You pay for your flight and everything else you pay for me and I coordinate. So based on, we have cabins here that are more hostile style. Okay. Um, and then we partner with a couple of different, like little more comfy uh, hotels. I try really hard that they're owned or at least run by Costa Ricans as well. And so then I'm that middleman in between exactly what your perfect trip would be like. Right. So how much you want to work, how dirty and hot you can handle being, um, whether you want to work with kids, uh, whether you want to work with adults, 
even different levels of language learning. You know, some, some of my volunteers really love to work with beginners. Some really want to, to work more with advanced speakers that are fine-tuning their, their English. Mm -hmm. um, you might want to get dirty reforestate, doing the reforestation project, which is wonderful because then here with our team at Weevil, you learn about the, a lot about the local flora and fauna. So we do mostly fruit trees that, you know, people eat the fruit, animals need the fruit, right. um, learning about why we're planting the, the, the specific species that we are, why during the year we do different things as well. And really naturally, the local children, and I know you probably know this from having Costa Rican friends, there's this innate connection to nature. And so the local kids, like, you know, they know when you go and you eat, grab the carambolas, they know when the mangoes are ready, when the avocado season right. is coming, it's, it's incredible. And so kind of having them have that ownership of teaching our, our volunteers and our travelers that come in makes for just such a nice connection and, and learning experience both ways. I love it. And so, okay, so now um, I'm going to ask you, what was one of the hardest things that you didn't expect when you moved down here? Of all the things that you could have expected that Costa Rica was going to be like when you moved down, what is the thing that you were probably the most surprised by? The thing I that surprised me the most, I think, is how little Costa Ricans need to be happy, where really, genuinely, happiness comes from jumping in the waves. You know, happiness is, is when you get a gallo pinto in the morning, you have enough rice and beans that you feel full. You can go outside, you share everything with your neighbor. And that it almost seemed, almost seemed fake in a way to me in the beginning when I realized that, no, it's my conception of material life and the thing that things bring you happiness, that mm -hmm. this nice car brings you happiness, where really I've met and seen the most, the happiest people who live even purposefully, not even necessarily because they don't have enough money. It's that the money's not the priority. Right. Spending time with their family is important. Sharing their food, right? That keeping the area beautiful and clean. Right. Um, and I think that that was something that I think was the hardest because it was my my judgments or my kind of my misnomers that I had of what what it meant to be happy. And the more I could really see, like, oh no. They are genuinely happy. I'm the one that's struggling here right. with, oh, I don't have this. I don't have this. I needed this and I don't have it. And it's like, no, I didn't need that actually. Yeah. I'm just shaking off all of that. And we're just programmed for it, right? As we're, mm -hmm. we're called consumers. And yeah. it's funny, whenever we started planning our move to Costa Rica, every time I would go to buy something, like not like food, but like stuff, I would go, why are you even looking at this? You're not a consumer right now. Like I knew that I needed to stop consuming stuff to be able to get rid of crap and not to accumulate more yeah. when I come down to Costa Rica. So like, that's my thing is like, I'm not a consumer. Why, why am I looking at a waffle iron? You're not a consumer. You're probably yeah. not going to need a waffle. You'll be fine. Right. Um, and so that was probably the, I mean, and you know, I think I'm probably not there at the level that you, that you are, but like to learn how little that you do need. When I spent a, um, when we leased a place down there for a year, um, down in, um, Uvita. Mm -hmm. And, um, I literally, I brought down like a suitcase full of stuff. Like I, I literally just went to Goodwill and got my Costa Rica shorts and stuff because I didn't care. Like I'm going to be dirty every day. What do I care? And old Navy tank tops that are like a dollar 99. Like mm -hmm. that's all I took down there and my Keens. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And then I, whenever I came in and out, like I just had my backpack on my back and I would come in and have my work stuff with me, whatever. But everything that I had was there. I didn't need anything extra. I didn't need that Starbucks coffee cup or I didn't, yeah. need, you know, I didn't need any of that crap. Like I just didn't, mm -hmm. need it. like it didn't matter. So that was, um, and now my husband is a tiny bit of a hoarder and mm -hmm. so getting him to shake off his stuff is a little bit more because he's just sure that he's going to need that widget sometime in his life. And he'll know where it's at. He won't, but then right. he'll be buying another one, but okay. So then on the good side of that, then, so what is something that you, you were pleasantly surprised by and you didn't expect? Oh, that I didn't expect. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know if this sounds silly, but how absolutely beautiful it is here where I, I still, after so long, when I see the Scarlet McCall's, Oh my God. And the monk, the white faced cappuccino monkeys. And the toucan. The toucan. Like, are you, I mean, it, there's not a day that doesn't go by still after so long where I'm like, wow, like, stop for a second. Look at that. Look how cool. The waterfalls mesmerize me, right? The, I think that that's what I would say where it's just, I, and I say it all the time. I'm like, no, this never gets old. I don't know if it's just me, but this really, like, I, I don't ever get tired. It's that lush green. The sea, you know, like the bird of paradise flowers, which I don't know why. I just think they're incredible. Also, yeah. You know, what's funny is, um, so I was at that particular tree house, which had a view of the ocean, the three sisters out in the ocean, those rock formations. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not kidding you. Like every time I was there, I would take the same picture every time. Yeah. The same yeah. The same picture. And we're like, oh my God, it's so pretty to take. And I have, I have it in my phone already 700 times. I'm like, yeah. I can take that picture again. It was craziness. It's like the sunsets. I don't even, I think if you looked at my camera roll, it is 80% sunsets. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. Okay. So um, I know when we spoke, you told me about your sister has now moved here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And she and has a four. She come down. So she's been down here almost seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so little by little, you know, she kind of went through the same. Well, she got to see me. So got a little bit, you know, could learn a little bit through my mistakes and visited me as often as she could. Um, and she came down and now has a four year old daughter who was also born in Costa Rica. My mom's not very happy about that. I'll tell you. <laughs> but now, I mean, my mom, of course, loves to come. Right. But in her dream world, of course, her grandbabies, not not my sister and I anymore, right? But her grandchildren oh, would yeah. be closer to her. Yeah. Of course. Um, but no, she, and she's in Montezuma, right? Yes, she is in Montezuma. Mm -hmm. And yeah, with, she, with she her husband? Where I am um, first, but then was like, no, I got to get back to Montezuma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. nice. nice. Okay. So I would assume that your family does visit. Oh, yeah. As much as they can. And then whenever you had your daughters, did that just immediately open up residency for you? Yes. And, and that was something I had to, I had to do a little bit of research on because we were not uh, legally married because as a U.S. citizen on my end and with Cesar as a Costa Rican, my daughter being born here was granted both citizenships. So right. she has her U.S. passport and her Costa Rican passport. And there's no questions about that. Nice. It's a little different if we were legally married. It's still still pretty much guaranteed, but you have to do a lot more work on the U.S. side. I'm sure. I'm yeah. Sure. 
Well, this has been lovely. I'm so glad you shared your experience with me. I'm like, I think you're, I think you're the longest person that I've interviewed that's lived there the longest so far. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to put all of the links that everyone can find we've all um, and then you just message me anything else that you think that you, I know you already sent me the link to your story. I'm going to put that in there. That's okay. awesome. And so everyone can kind of keep up to date with um, how you got here and your amazing journey. And it's so funny because like um, one gentleman that I interviewed um, moved here and then moved back and then moved to here again and then moved to different places within here. And then like after never been married his entire life in his sixties, um, fell in love in Costa Rica. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, he's like, I would have never met her if we weren't here. Yeah. And she's like amazing. And she's from Peru. And so the same thing for her, like they came from two different countries and met here. So there's such interesting stories that are so colorful and layered. And mm -hmm. I feel the same way you do about the beauty of it and, and about, and about Guanacaste out there too. Like it does get very dry and very hot out there and very dusty. And I was super surprised too, when we went to the Southern zone that I just loved and I love the rainy season as much as I love summer. Like I really do love the rainy season. I don't care. I mean, other than if I have my laundry hanging out and I'm in town and I look up and go, there's a cloud up there. My clothes, yep. are, probably, my, my clothes are probably wet again. Exactly. <laughs> but other than that, I just, I love it. And every day is like something new. Like in the, when you're coming down the road, coming down, like if you're up on a hill on the mountain or whatever, and you're coming down and it's a really shaded area. And mm -hmm. then those blue butterflies are there in the shade. Oh. You know, they just come out of nowhere and then they're gone again. Yeah. Like there's just stuff like that that just never stops being magical. It's very true. I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. well, thank you so much for being my guest. And I appreciated every second of this. Thank you so much, Robin. It was a pleasure. Pura vida. Pura vida.